Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. And hello and whatever proper salutation is whenever you're listening to this on the Temple Beth Am podcast, we are back and better than before. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, let's, that, well that, that remains to be seen. Um, okay, let's jump into it. According to my notes, we ended on a verse that we did not read the Rashi on. And that is chapter eight. How's the, how's the sound? Joanna, Rick, you can hear me at the microphone at this distance? Yes, but the, the visual, if, if the camera could be raised up higher, it'd be nice. Cause, but it's okay. It's okay. What can, you don't like my chin? What's wrong here? No, well, you're, you're far away, but it's okay. It's okay. And if you, Rick, wouldn't mind like trimming a little bit when you do the beer, just, it's, it's a little bit lopsided from this angle. If you just, hey, I didn't get personal with you. I'm just saying the camera height is lower than it usually is. Chapter 8 of uh, Shemot, verse, um, we read verse 10. That's what I have in my notes. We never heard the Rashi. But we need, we need, we need to get, kind of get back into it. So we are at the end of the Tzfardayim, the end of the frogs, okay? What's that? Shemot, chapter 8, verse 10, but we'll go back to 9 a little bit, right? So um, remember there had been... Uh, this way of understanding that Moshe was challenging Pharaoh. Uh, I'll give you a moment to pretend that you're the one in power. You'd tell me exactly when you want the frogs to leave and I'll do it. And, and it'll, it'll be clear that you actually do not have the power because I'm the one who is going to make that thing happen. So if you look at verse nine, Vayas Adonai Kedvar Moshe, God did what Moshe had said, meaning to remove the, the frogs at the moment that Pharaoh had asked. The frogs died from the houses, from the courtyards, so they died. And then we have a wonderful image. They didn't die and disappear. It's not poof. The Hebrew root sabar um, can mean several things. Here it means to gather, collect, pile up. They collected them. Chomarim, chomarim. And that's the two-word Hebrew phrase that is not easy to translate because it's not a common Hebrew word. And that's the word, that's the thing that Rashi is going to comment on. What we know is that somehow the doubling of the plural word suggests an intensification of something, a lot of something. So whatever a chomar is in biblical Hebrew, it's a lot of them. Vativ ash ha'aretz. And the land stunk, right? Which connects the Svardaim plague to the blood plague because that's what happened to the Nile. Okay? That's the verse that we ended on. Um, I don't remember if there were like any leftover questions that we want to talk about before we're jumping to the Rashi, but now that we're reading it again, is it bring up anything for anybody before we jump into the Rashi? Okay. Um, remember, I know it's annoying. If you're going to talk around the table, grab a mic. What Joel said is, um, what is the subject? What is the grammatical subject of Vayitzbaru? It's a they, right? And what are the possibilities of who the they could be? Frogs. <laughs> <laughs> the frogs self-piled. Okay. Pharaohs. Pharaohs. Um, you know, 
Okay, a, a, gen, a generic they, the, the, the ones who were most impacted by the, by the frogs, right? The ones who had been plagued by them, they're, they're dead, but their plague is not over. They still have to pile up stinky uh, heaps of frogs. Pharaoh's servants. Yeah, or, or, or the servants or the courtiers, the very ones who uh, had been, uh, you know, have been unable to match God's powers. Now they're in cleanup mode. Okay. Use, use the mic, Rachel. Maybe it'll be in the commentary, but uh, <clears throat> did the Hebrew slaves need to do this? This is the kind of work that if you had a slave, you yeah. want the slave to do it. Yeah, it's interesting, <clears throat> right? This, the Pharaoh's being um, harangued, but he's still in power with slaves, and maybe he would have assigned that. And um, there's really no, there's no clue in the verse. There's no, there's no obvious clue in the verse. There's no antecedent you go back to. The last they plural uh, verb is the tsvardaim, who are the ones who are dying. So it's not like that subject is carried over. So it's just a generic. You know, they they did it right. Um, okay. Anything else on on the words, Rebecca? <laughs> we'll be high tech here. Maybe it's even Moses and Aaron mm. gathering some people to help them who um, who do it because they're the ones who are going to get rid of the frogs. Mm. Uh, yeah, you would, you'd like to think that if the Torah wanted to indicate that it was motion error, it would have told us, but you, you, you never know. Um, I also, it's, it's hard to kind of imagine uh, motion Aaron doing that task, right, uh, or, or feeling like they had to do that task. Um, and it's a pretty, pretty yucky task. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm not talking about the word, but uh, the experience I had with humans when they do, uh, it's a kind of genocide of uh, uh, frogs. When they do this, they can't really clean it because it's not like the story which we have that he was playing the flute and the children were following or the mouse were following. The frogs are there, whatever they can see, they can see. But uh, every, um, uh, the plagues stay and continue because the frogs are in uh, wells. The frogs are in different places. Not all of them jump out and pile. So I think the effect is going to continue. They rotten. The, the bones will be there. The smell will be there. And uh, it's not something that finishes with just one time gathering. It doesn't. Yeah, it, it, pretty yucky. And I wonder if you think, if you think about what the literary and theological impact of like like the double question we have to ask why why did this happen in the story and why is it important that the torah told us that it happened right those are two different questions right one is entirely within the logic of the narrative and the other is the logic of why it appears in a, in a sacred book like what what does the what does it say or what does it do to our understanding of the story to know that the plague didn't end just when they died right it's a it's 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 almost as if it had it, the plague had a 2.0 experience of it, right? There was the um, onerousness of uh, and the odiousness of the frogs invading the ho houses. But you know, please kill the frogs. Okay, I'll kill the frogs. And then Egypt is not immediately relieved from the yuckiness of the frogs, right? Uh, Sue and then Larry, and then I'm going to do some do some Hebrew Hebrew word exploration. Um. Um. 
I was just thinking about how what Rosemary said that it didn't just go away. It's so it's going to linger. And so now they've got this ruined Nile and the stinky fish in the Nile. And now there's all the stinky frogs and the plane plagues are going to just keep on going. And then it's, it, it's going to culminate in this giant crescendo where the Israelites leave and the Egyptian army chases them into the ruined, stinky Nile. Mm. And that's where they're, and that's where they're destroyed. Like the place where nobody wants to go near and it's, it's gross and full of death and, and, you know, dead gross. And, and they're, 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 that's, that's what they end up drowning in. Well, depends on how we understand Yam Suf, right? They were several days away from Egypt, right? We don't think Yam Suf is usually translated as the Red Sea. It oh, probably right. wasn't that. It's not the Nile. It, it's, it's, it's a watery death, so there's that association, but that's not the same no, body of water necessarily. I was thinking it's the Nile. I know it's not the Nile, but now that you say that. Larry, Rachel Berry, Norm. Similar comment. And then Rick. Sorry, I didn't see your hand till now. So in, when we had the previous, previous play, uh, we're told... The Hadad Asher, the Yor, Meta, the Yib Ash, Right, same same verb. It's the same. So but there it's with Yib Ash, and here it's with Yib Ash. Because Yor is masculine and ah. Aretz is feminine. So the, the subject follows the verb. That's, that's just pure grammar. <laughs> Aretz looks like a masculine verb, but if you think of the plural Aretz, it's Aretzot, and the word Eretz is a feminine word. Yeah. And I'm only going to add, not only did it stink, perhaps. Only Eretz Acheret, right? The right, Eretz. Exactly. Not only did it stink, but it's like it's odious. Yeah. The land and the, everything became odious, which is an image of being not welcoming, not something we don't want to have. Yeah. It's almost as if the Torah is trying to tell us with this that, do you believe there are going to be eight more of these? Right. Already the land is is demolished and it's even demolished on upon the beginning of the relief from the plague. And it's still disgusting. And so this guy is going to going to going to soften and then harden eight more times after this. Right. Uh, Rachel Barry or Barry, Rachel, whoever gets the microphone first uh, in, in the text is Hamarim Hamarim heaps heaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rashi is using. Um, well, we'll get to Rashi. We haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Uh, uh, here it is. Uh, I have my finger on it. De Gorim, And Rashi uses another word you don't want to use right now. So there's three words used for heaps, heaps. Right. There's the Hebrew Hamarim. There's the translation into the Aramaic. Uh, who used the word Degorin Degorin, and then Rashi brings it. Rashi, as we'll see in a second, basically uses the verb in the verse to help understand the noun of the word Chamar. But we're going to look at um, a, a biblical dictionary first before we look at Rashi. But I see Rachel, and then I saw Rick and Barbara. But you put your hands down. And Norm. Your hand, is your hand still up? Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is a. Uh, <clears throat> uh, very elementary question or comment. Do we have any sense of a time frame for the plagues? I'm reacting to what Susan had said, that at the time 
of the actual exodus after the 10th plague. Is it still stinking from the second plague or the first plague? I always thought of it as the plagues were spread over months and that there may, particularly for Pharaoh to harden his heart again, there must be some brief respite between the conclusion of one plague and the start of the next. Yeah. That's always how I imagined it. Yeah, how much time? We have no idea. The Torah gives us really no indication of the flow of time here. Norm, Rick, Barbara. I know that some commentators suggest there's a natural progression of these plagues. So when the Nile turns to blood, um, fish may be stuck there, but frogs can come out and escape. And that results in the next plague being the, 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 the frogs. And when you have piles of stinking frogs, mm. that attracts insects, including kinning. Mm. Nice. Um, Barbara and then Rick. Right. And so, Nora, I think, I think what you're implying there is that the, there, in order for that to work, you have to have the frogs not just disappear, but specifically linger to be the one that's inviting the next plague. Got it. Barbara and then Rick. Well, two things. Number one, because the frogs were all over the whole land, I don't think it's just the courtiers that went out and picked, pulled them into heaps. I think it was all the people of the country that had to pile them up off their own properties. Mm. And, and then number two, in going, Barry mentioned the, the, the Hamarim. This is the first time I think in, in, in all the time that I've been told about two verbs being used together that makes it a surely or a really. So this must mean to me, um, Hamarim, Hamarim, that this is really in heaps, huge heaps, right. big heaps. How right. often do that, you see that? We have, we have that in English also, right? Like, you know, how do you, you know, what's more than heaps? Heaps and heaps, right? Right. It's, right. Well, how, how often does that happen with nouns is, is, my, is actually my question. I can't give you a numeric answer, but you're right that we've seen, we've seen that in verb form. We're like, we haven't gotten to the notorious yet, but you know that phrasing, like, the, and it's often, yeah. verily you shall, if you verily listen, right? There's a way of intensifying a verb by doubling it. It's not the exact same form. The second form is different than the first form. Um, I, I can't say offhand whether or not a, a doubling of the exact same word in a noun form uh, appears back to back in the Torah. Before now, it may or may not. I don't. I don't remember. Okay. Shabbat Shabbaton. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Rick, and then Rona, and then I promise we'll get to the next thing. Hi. So, um, how they died? Um, um, I just wanted to raise the question because um, it says Vayamutu. It says they died, but it doesn't say like they were killed. Just they they died by themselves. But um, going back to verse 5, lehachrit hatzfardim, a little bit of a trope thing. So there you have a pashta and the zakip katan, lehachrit hatzfardim. Then when we get down to 9, it's vayamutu hatzfardim. So Moses, I'm asking the question, Moses is, is saying, well, they're going to be lehachritid, they're going to be destroyed, whatever that verb was there. Um, and then in seven, they're just kind of be 
going to be driven from the houses. They're just going to leave. And then uh, in nine, they died. So um, I, I just wanted to ask uh, if any commentator wrote about, well, who's killing the frogs? Are, are they being driven out or what's, what's going on there? Yeah. So I mean, no good answer. Good question. No good answer. A lot of verbs are used to describe what's going to happen to end the, the, the frog play. You have, you have Lahachrit to, to eliminate. You have Saru, a kind of a, a, a just a, um, a removal. And now you have them dying, but it's a, it's a, it's a passive death, right? No one is killing them. They're just dying. Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting, right? Verse 9 is written, first active and passive. By Yas Adonai Kedvar Moshe, God did according to Moshe's, Moshe. But it doesn't say, Vayamet et Tzfardim, and he thus killed the Tzfardim. Right, says, God doesn't kill frogs, yeah. God, God did what Moshe said, and thusly, as a result of that, the frogs died. Okay, Rona, let's oh, give Mona a microphone. Oh, um, right here. Um, yeah. Is this one working? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say that I think it's very, very hard to reach a privileged narcissistic dictator because mm. they're really removed from the land. They're really removed from the everyday people. Mm. And that's why the only plague that got Pharaoh to soften his heart was the killing of the firstborn because mm. you can't escape death, right? But if you look at the next Pasuk, it says that Pharaoh saw that there was relief, but the previous Pasuk said that, that the land stank. So what, what relief are they talking about? And you have to assume that his magicians and servants and slaves that he's thronged by made it really fine for him. Mm-hmm. And so he wasn't suffering anymore. So he just assumed everyone was fine and, or he didn't even care. He just was like, Oh, Egypt's fine. We've recovered. Right. No. Right. But like, that's not, it's not how, a normal human would behave, right? A normal human would think, would have some empathy, but it shows something about mm. his personality. Yeah. And there, there's probably plenty of incense in the palace to yeah, exactly. protect his kingly nostrils from the, <laughs> from the thing. Well, also yeah. like, I, I also don't know what that, right? <laughs> some version of that. I also don't know what that word in the next pasuk means, that harvacha, so we'll, yeah, that, we'll that get says to- relief, but that also might mean something that relates to this. We'll, we'll get there by uh, November, I'm sure. Um, let me do a little bit of a grammar work with you all. So I want to show you what the word chomarim, chomarim. Oh, before I bring it up, what Hebrew word, what, what the root chet mem resh, when you, have a, when you have approached that word in Hebrew in any form, what con- things might it mean? Donkey. Chomer is material. Donkey. Donkey Hamor. Bit bitumen from the uh from the Noah's Ark, right? Astringency. Um uh chamar in uh biblically was also wine, right? It's a very interesting three-letter root that means lots of different things, none of which are the ones that it means here, right? So I want I want to show you that in the BDB. Um Okay, so hopefully everyone can see. Is more connected to the Dina story in Shechem? Very, it's just a name. Yes, what what the name meant and why he was named that, I don't know. Maybe he was, maybe he just acted like an ass. I don't know. Okay, so the root (laughs) Hamar, 
Um, this is the one that was not mentioned, can mean to boil or foam up or ferment, right? Um, I'm, not aware, I'm, I'm not as aware of, of those usages, okay? Um, chemer is wine, okay? An Aramaic chamra. Maybe, that's interesting. Maybe, that, maybe that's the connection, something which foams up, yeah? Um, chemar, which Leonard said from the Noah story, right? The thing that some of the things, uh, no, is it the Noah story? Yeah, where it's, he's, he's, um, he's aligning the ark with, with, um, with, with, with uh, that product, okay? Correct. Um, <coughs> chomer here, cement, mortar, clay, okay? Um, There's Be'erot, Be'erot in the, the valley of the Sidim there, two uh, words repeating. Mm-hmm. Correct. Well, hold on one second. And then so now we get to the middle of this page, we get the root that we're dealing with here, right? It's, it's the vowel is different. In Aramaic, it would be chamer. It's the verb meaning to pile up or to heap. And we have it as a verb form and as a noun form. And here, chomer is the, norm, is the heap. And this is the BDB version of a jackpot. The, the verse that BDB uses to explain what this word means is chomarim, chomarim, you know, heaps of <clears throat> dead frogs, etc. Okay. Fermenting and foaming the uh, Yes, yeah, probably an accidental fit. It's more probably connected to wine than to heaps, but, possi- but, but possibly. Rosemary? No, it's just to say, yeah, I saw the word Arabic and Persian, chomre means uh, the big uh, pot that you make, not pot, the big, uh, yeah, like pot that you make wine inside. Oh, really? And it is, yeah. And uh, chamir will be the the um, paste itself, like for making bread. But chumre is really that. Uh, and if you look, if you look at the next one, it also can mean um, a measure of barley. So it's one of the most pluripotent three-letter Hebrew root, uh, Hebrew Aramaic words. There are because these are most of these are not are not cousins of one another. They're actually just different words that were just formed over time with the same three letters, which is just an interesting thing from a linguistic perspective. Okay. So Pharaoh was like, <clears throat> life is hard, life is difficult, let's just make frog wine out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Something good. Bless. <laughs> heaps, heaps of frog wine for everybody. <laughs> okay. Uh, I saw Stevie's hand up before. Is your hand still up, Stevie? Uh, sure. Um, just to point out how different this is from like what Moses told Pharaoh was going to happen, right? Right, like the frogs are going to leave is what was promised. And we still have this phrase that God did as Moses said, but yet it's not the same. Like we heard most of that. Stevie was a little bit in and out. Um, oh, sorry. Okay. Um, okay. So let's see. It's uh, nine o'clock, and we're exactly where we were when we started this class, which is <laughs> we had gotten through verse ten and haven't read the Rashi. So let's let's read the Rashi, which is going to be a, just a three-word Rashi, and we've actually already done some of the work of the Rashi. Uh, Carol, do you want to read the Rashi? Um. Mm-hmm. 
Are you pronouncing it chomarim or chomarim? It's a it's a chataf kamat, so it's chomarim. Oh, it is okay. Chomarim, yeah. chomarim. Because the without um, the original vowel is a cholom. It's chomer, right? And so when you pluralize it, it becomes a soft O rather than a hard O. <laughs> we'll remember that. I'm not sure. I'll, <laughs> no, I'm not but you sure know that. Like, um, uh, God, I can't think of another example. But all right, I'll think of another example when I'm not. Kodashim. Kodashim. Right. Kodesh is is has a has a dot O, and in the plural it's Kodashim, not Kodashim. It's a Kamat Katan or a Kamat Hatakamas. Thank you, Rick. Okay. I'm not sure I'm differentiating well, but Homerim, Homerim, Siburim, Siburim, Katargumo. So the first thing Rashi does is say, hey, reader, you're not aware of all nine uses of the three-letter root Chet Memresh. He he basically turns it into the noun form of the verb in the sentence, right? Because they were Yitzburuing, right? So he basically says, instead of saying they, they piled it up in heaps, they piled it up in piles is basically what he's saying, right? He's creating noun, not creating, he's using the noun at Sibor, another interesting root, because Sibor, we think of the word Sibor as a public, right? But Sadi Bet Resh means to gather up, and therefore at Sibor is a gathering of the thing. So it says it just basically means what the verb said it meant, okay? Katargumo digorin galin. Okay, so, and it says, and as Barry was telling us before, or you can go, if, if you feel better about the Aramaic reader, go to the way Unglish translated it. Unglish translated it as digorin, which is only helpful if you know what the word digorin means in Aramaic. And Rashi recognized that we might not know that, so he tells us what digorin means. It means galim. A gal, a gal is a wave, but, but think of not just, um, almost like a dune, right? Like It's like the shape of a wave, right? And um, this is not in the Rashi, but... but um, there's an annotated version of the Rashi that gives uh, places where Rashi is, is getting some of this material from. And I want to bring up another verse for you guys. Um, okay. Okay. So look at uh, what's on the screen. Hopefully you can see it. This is from Breshit chapter 31. This is uh, in the narrative between uh, Yaakov and, uh, and Lavan. Right? So look at verse 46. Vayomer Yaakov lechav. Yaakov said to his brothers, Liktu avanim, go collect stones. Vayikhu avanim. They went and they collected stones. Vayasugal. And they made a gal. They did not make a wave, right? They made a pile. They made a mound. Vayuchusham al hagal. And they ate there on the mound. Look at how Uncle is translated there on the right side. Vayomer Yaakov lachuhi. Yaakov said to his brothers, Likutu Avnin, take stones, Unasivu Avnim, and therefore they did bring stones, Avadu Dagora, and they made a Dagora, which means that Uncle is there translates the Hebrew word Gal, which doesn't mean wave, it means a mound, as a Dagora, Ba'achlutaman al Dagora, and ate on, on, on the mound. So you bring it all together, Rashi says, Chomar means a Tzibor, means a Digor, means a Gal, a pile of stuff. But he's aware that this is a not common use of a common root. And so he wanted us to give us that, um, that, that storyline. Okay. Uh, anything else on that Rashi? Um, I was going to show you the uncle, the, the Jashur on Sibor, but just trust me, Sibor means a heap or a pile. We don't have to spend more time on that. Okay. Um, 
let's go to verse 11 progress before uh, you go there reading before you go there yeah can i, can uh, I ask uh, a question so close in, in, yes in the rashi it says um digora is the targum of hagal what does it mean the targum when uh what, I targum, know, what is the word targum means translation when oh, rashi okay. reports refers to the Targum. He's referring to Uncleus, the proselyte's Targum of the Torah into Aramaic in, a, in somewhere in the first century. Thank yeah. you. So the word can, can just mean lowercase t translation, but here it's referring to as the translation because it was just accepted as the uh, translation into Aramaic of record. And again, it's the oldest one that remains fully extant. The only oldest translation of the Torah into any other language remains fully extant. Okay. Um, Carol, verse 11. Vayar paro ki haita harvacha vehachbed et libo velo shama alehem ka asher diver adonai. Okay. Um, and Pharaoh saw that there was whatever harvacha translated as relief. Okay. Um, and his uh, heart was hardened. He did not uh, listen. It's not a good translation. But didn't listen to them. He maybe heed, pay attention, obey. Right. Um, as God said. Good. There seem to be three major questions in the verse, and if you have more, pile on. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, one is what does harvacha mean, and why is it used here? Two. What is the exact form of hachbeid et libo. We've talked before about how hard it is to translate just what the word kaved means, what the root means, but what's the form? Who, who's doing what to whom, right? And the third question that people often ask is, what is the kasher diber Adonai referring to, right? When it says, as God said, what, as God said, when, about whom? Okay, let's start with harbacha. Has anyone, <coughs> anyone have any associations with the three middle letters of that word, resh vav chet? Ruach, interesting. I think Ru. I don't know if Ruach is connected here, mm-hmm. even though it's the same three letters, because in um, in um, in in the word Revach, the vav of, in the middle is more is always pronounced. It's more central to the root. Yeah, Sue, microphone. I think of Revach. I think profitability, actually, Revach, or or wideness or breadth. Correct. Right. Kind of so Re- Revach. Uh, in modern Hebrew, laharviach means to earn. Kam ata marviach, how much are you earning from this gig? Marviach, how much, how much financial space are you creating? Is really what the word means. On a keyboard, the space bar in Hebrew is revach, right? It's to create a space. It's, it's, it's um, ampleness, right? I don't know if ampleness is a word, but, but you understand what I mean. So, haita harvacha, um, there was a... A relief, a space, some room. There was a, a, a break from what he had been experiencing. If we look at some of the different translations of that, um, some, some margins. Some margin. Good. Uh, let's look at some of the translations that the that we have on Safaria. So look at how Everett um, Fox translates it. Very modern, if you ask me. But Pharaoh saw that there was breathing room. He usually doesn't do that. I wonder. I never thought about this before when I saw this. I wonder, Rona, if he's trying to play with ruach. Interesting, right? Like, 
it, Everfox, he, he, he writes it in a good modern English vernacular, but not using idioms that wouldn't have existed back then. So I wonder if he's, if he's linking Harvacha to Ruach. I don't know. Um, well, the breathing room is very interesting because of the smell. Yeah, right. Wow. It, That's like, well, then what, is he not smelling it? But back to the incense? Yeah. Possibly? JPS or says... That there was a... Use the microphone. Time lag between or time lag. J- the end of one and the start of the next. JPS translates it as relief, as you see there. Corin translates it as respite. Translation is hard. Mitsuda translates it as also respite. Um, and what's our new favorite one? The Kahana. Let me bring it down. Um, when, when Pharaoh saw that relief had come, so he used the word relief, he just changes some of the syntax of the sentence. Uh, what do you have over there, uh, Larry? And then Barry has a thought. But Larry, get a microphone. Aria Kaplan has respite, a respite. Respite, okay. And How, what, what's, the, what's the whole phrase? How does he render the phrase? When Pharaoh, when Pharaoh saw, saw that there had been a, res, a respite, okay. he heard in his heart, and uh, Alter just has um, relief. He has, and Pharaoh saw that there was relief. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Barry, and then I see Renee, and then Diane. Ankalos uh, uh, uses There's no resh in there. So this is a different word. Same word. Revachta. You see the resh. The oh, the race is in the front. Yeah, same as harbacha. So he just basically translates the word harbacha into the exact Aramaic mirror of it, Ravachta. Yeah. Renee and then Diane. Don't hear you, Renee. Pharaoh saw that there had been a relief and kept hardening his heart. What are you reading from? Saperstein. Saperstein. Okay, got it. Oh, so remember what, what Rene just said, kept hardening his heart. That kept is very interesting because the form of the hachbeid at libo is really hard to just turn into the exact English uh, grammatical phrase. So keep the kept in mind. Kept, keep keeping it in mind. Keep keeping the kept. Um, Diane. So I want to go back to the first word, yereif paro. So um, it's not like this is what, Paro was experiencing himself that mm. there was a respite, but rather he's looking to the people around him. Mm. So that suggests that he really, I don't know that he cares about the people around him, but at least he's paying attention to what's going on with him. Well, it's interesting because you could read the Bayar Paro either the way you read it or the way Rona was reading it. So Bayar Paro, he looked out the window and he saw out there the people were, were getting a respite, so maybe it's not as bad. Or Pharaoh looked around his own situation not so bad, right? So, so it's actually um, it's actually deliciously ambiguous what he was looking at and what he was experiencing. Um, okay, so that deals with and, and by the way, Rashi does ignores harbacha. He just thinks it's a normal word. Yeah, like he he's not. <laughs> so, some of our curiosity about harbacha is because we think in English. I'm sure try, trying to think of the exact English word. If we thought in old French, and that was our 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 um, our um, common language, it might have just been an easier thing to get in, get, get there from Harbacha. He doesn't find it worth commenting on. But he does comment on the Hachbeid et Libo, okay? Now, before we look at what Hachbeid et Libo is, it could have been, right? 
Vayichabed et libo. He hardened his own heart. Or, um, Velibo kaved, and his heart was hard describing a state of being. Vahachbed, it's not a, let's say it this way. There's, there's grammatically no subject to hachbed. There's an object at libo, but there's no one doing the chabed. It's not, it's not he feel. That would have been vayachbed or vayachbed, or it's not pl vayichabed. So we don't really know what form it's in, and that's what Rashi's going to start with. Okay, uh, you're still up, Carol. And as you're reading Rashi, remember Rashi's going to use grammatical terms that were the way Hebrew grammar was referred to back then. Excuse me. We use different grammatical terms for the same thing now. Okay, that would explain my confusion. Yes. Um, okay, so, so that's all unhelpful, right? Uh, because unless you know what the word pa'ol meant in Hebrew grammar classes in France a thousand years ago, okay? Um, the, the, the best way of rendering it in English grammar terms is gerund, right? The, the, the notion, the, almost like the noun-based notion of what the verb is, it's a cousin to the infinitive, right? When you have, you know, the infin- there's no subject of an infinitive and there's no subject of a gerund, right? So uh, to win. It's just the notion of winning. And you could all say winning, right? It, both are ways of referring to the action but without applying a subject to it. So pa'ol is an ancient Hebrew way of referring to the, the notion of the verb, but not applying the verb in any particular way, okay? Um, and then all Rashi does for the rest of the comment is give us four other places in Tanakh where a similar construction of a verb is used and he says basically saying look at those you'll see that it's obvious what it means there apply that here but Rashi doesn't say that all he does is point us in that direction and we're going to look at them i see barry's hand up so so like that uh, the, the the hardening of his heart by him right like the the hardening or it's going to be really hard to do in, in, in good English, right? He saw that. That's the best you can make. The, yeah. the hardening of his heart by him. Right. Or his heart or, or, or the heart remained hardened. It's very hard to do. But we'll look at the other four uh, verses he, got, he gives, and then maybe we'll see if we can come up with a communal translation backwards into ours. Yes, Norm. Zilberman translates it as he allowed his heart to be hardened, mm. which is different from what we usually see. We usually, we see often he hardened his own heart. Yes. We hear God hardened his heart. Here we have something sort of different. He allowed his heart to be hardened. Yeah, because those translations are correct that this verb, this phrase does not mean he hardened his heart. And it doesn't mean that God hardened his heart. It's something else. Everett Fox translated it as... Um, so he made his heart heavy with stubbornness. I'm not sure that, I mean, with great respect for Fox, who knows much more about this than I ever will, it's, that still seems somehow lacking, right? Let's look at, uh, at some of the verses that Rashi is going to make reference to. Um, so let me just bring that up. By the way, before you were talking about the form of the verb, uh, in Sapristine, it says it's a poal form. No, Rashi's. 
Right. R- Rashi says Lashon Pa'ol, which is Rashi's way of referring to the, the concept of the, of the verb without it being assigned a particular subject. Rosemary? Um, I just, I just, sorry. I just think of Marie Antoinette when they said there is no bread to eat, is that give them the cake? And that's returning to their nature. And they are grown up like that. Probably here, nobody hardened his heart, but he went to his nature, his basic education. Yeah, exactly. So, Let's see if we can figure out from the verses that Rashi throws us to what he thinks it means in our verse. The first one he throws us to is Parshat Lech Lecha. Uh, um, Avram, if you, if you go up a little bit, a bit this is uh, towards the beginning of Avram's sojourn in uh, land of Canaan. And the verse says, Vaisa Avram haloch v'nasoa hanegba. Avram journeyed, going and coming, Right there's that gerund, the ing. Right, it's haloch v'nasoa is not a new verb. It's it's describing the journey. He went. It's you know. Does this mean there and back? It's translated here by Erifrox as a continuous action. He just kind of you know wended his way southward. Okay? That's that's the first um, one that Rashi brings us to. The second one is from the second book of Malachim, chapter three, verse twenty-four. Uh, context is interesting, but we're here looking at the grammar. Vayavo el machane Yisrael, they entered the Israelite camp. Vayakumu Yisrael, Israelites got up. Vayaku et Moab, they smote the Moabites. Vayanusu mipnehem, who fled. Vayakuba, they, and then uh, it continues that verb, they continued to smite them. Vehakot et Moab. So the question is, what does the vahakot mean? According to Rashi, the vahakot here is the same as, and it even sounds the same, haloch venasoa, a'o, which by the way, a'o, those are the vowels of pa'ol, which is the, what Rashi says, um, is happening in our verse, even though our verse is not the kavod, but hachbeid, but something like an ongoing smiting, right? It's not the verb. They smote them, in a hakot way, just continuous smiting. Okay? The, smiting the smiting continued. Okay, so so far we got two for two, and it's not just a gerund according to Rashi, but some kind of ongoing action, right? That continues. It's not just it happened once. Look at the next one he brings us to, which is the second book of Shmuel, um, chapter first book of Shmuel, chapter two, verse thirteen on the page. Um, this is, but just the context is interesting. It's, it's Saul not being able to figure out, um, why, um, why David is being more favored than, than he is, right? David, his son's best friend. Elav Shaul. So this is king, the current king to the regarding the one who would be king. Uh, Shaul, uh, said to him, Lama Keshartem Alai Ata. Why have, uh, you, it's interesting to use the word Kashar. It means, we can think of it as to connect, but here it means to kind of conspire, to plot against. Uvein Yishai, betitcha lo lechem, giving him uh, food and sustenance. Vecher, gave him a sword. Vishaol, a'o, right? And um, asking of him or about him to God. This was a reference to um, their uh, using the Urim Vetumim, the oracles, to find out from God how David is doing. Basically, Saul said, why are you so concerned about David? Right? Be more concerned about me. Um, but the form is visha'olo. Why are you doing this 
and continuing to ask using these oracles how uh, David is doing, right? Translated here as, uh, yeah, translated here rather plainly, and inquired of God. But it's that same form. And then the last one that Rashi brings us to, which is the book of Kings, um, chapter 1, verse, no, chapter 20, verse 37. Vayimsa ish acher. He met another man, Bayomir Hakeni nine. He said, Strike me, Bayakehuaish. He struck him, Hake Uvatsoa. So it's translated here as he struck him and wounded him, but the Patsoa, right, is the same form as Haloch Venasoa and Shaol. He struck him, continued to strike him, or the wounds continued to wound him. It's some kind of ongoing action, right? So from those four, as the specific ones that Rashi is bringing, it's basically, if you put that back into our verse, it could be something like, Pharaoh saw that there was uh, a relief, and oh, that, that, that ongoing hardening of his heart, right? His heart is still ongoing in its hardening. Joel, microphone. In, this, in the last example, again. Oh, the last example, okay. It, it says, Hakeh. So I'm wondering whether that this, the first verb was also in the Paul, just like we have in ours. In the Hachbed, yeah, maybe, yes, right. So that apparently whatever Rashi is calling the Paul, depending on the verb form, it could either actually be a o vowels or a e hake hachbed. Good. Um, what do you make of this? Aside from it being a very nerdy grammar rabbit hole, anything? All right. <laughs> Sorry, Rashi, we were just not that interested. <laughs> Barry and then Larry. When God tells Moshe at the very beginning that all this is going to happen, but, but, but Pharaoh will continue, I forget what the phrasing was, but was there something in there that there would be continuation? Pharaoh's, whatever it is, would continue. Yeah. Right. Some people read Rashi as trying to make the point that don't think his heart had ever stopped being hard. That the Hachbeta Labo is not that in that moment, Pharaoh said, you know, I was going to let them go, but you know what? I'm going to harden my heart. But more a reminder that since he has a tendency to have a hardened heart, as soon as he had a tiny bit of relief, the, the hardening of the heart became more prominent in his, in his actions, something like that. And that's why it's written that way, an ongoing state of being. Larry? Two things. One is a comment on Harvacha. There's a Misrat Harvacha in Israel. It's Ministry of Social Affairs or whatever. Harvacha is yeah. social affairs, not yeah. earnings, not. It's not no, like, no. Interesting. And and also, I'm pretty sure before there was Karen Hishtamut, which was a a fund that you accumulate when you're working for for your further training. Um, there, I think there was a Karen Harvacha, but there also were in the early days of Israel. Employers provided camps that I think were called Machane Havracha. Anybody else know this? Havracha? Har- oh, it's different? Ah, so maybe I'm confusing it. Okay, now on a completely different subject, a looking at it, looking at this from the the meta point of view again. Yeah. So I'm gonna be the, I'm gonna be the defense attorney for Pharaoh. So basically, um <clears throat> Earlier on, the whole idea was to take the frogs out. Saru. Yeah, not just, not just to leave them there stinking. 
And that was the deal that Pharaoh made with Moses. If you get the frogs out of here, then I'll let you go. You tell me when you want me to rem- totally remove the... Yeah. And, and what I'm ended saying, up happening? Yeah. That what ended up happening is they ended up dying. We don't know. We I think we talked about before what it meant minha beitim or whatever mm-hmm. from the houses, but they ended up dying there and stinking up the joint. Mm. All right. So once they got cleared, Pharaoh said, and he got a little bit of relief from the problem, but he hadn't had he hadn't hadn't had his uh, the other side of the deal made. He said he became stubborn. Maybe he simply went back on his deal. And he said, okay, I'm not going to live up to my part of the deal either. You can't go. Yeah, interesting. You could almost read that saying, and, and, and when he saw that all there was was a little relief, as opposed to they were gone. He saw it like, yeah, it's, it's a little bit better. Then, okay, then I'll, then I'll just have, I'll offer you back just a little bit, but not everything I promise. Interesting. Rick, and then we'll look at the next verse if we have time. Um, well, the, the ending is the same six words uh, verse 22 at the end of the, the first one, uh, 23. No, 22. Vayechizak um, lev paro, right? So he hardened his heart. Velo shema lehem kasher diber Adonai. It's the same. Velo shema lehem kasher diber Adonai. So right. there, there, there's a... comment on that there, on the kasher diber Adonai? I don't know. I'm just saying it's kind of like a formulaic... Uh, it's a structure of the story that that happens when this happens, then that happens. Yeah. Um, that in that verse, chapter seven, verse 22, with the last six words, the same, uh, Rashi does not comment on the Kasher di Ber Adonai, uh, as God said, but Rashi does comment on the Kasher di Ber Adonai here. Maybe we'll kind of end with this. Carol, if you read that last phrase, Kasher di Ber Adonai. Um, I don't know what the, what does the la'ayil mean? Above. Oh, means above, okay. above. Above in, in um, Zion Dalad. So what does vehechan diber mean? Uh, what, when did, when exactly did he speak? Right. So Rashi, you might be saying, reader, because it's been a long time, which maybe explains why Rashi does not say this in chapter seven, because it would, it was a more of immediate antecedent. When we haven't heard God mention this recently, ah, back in chapter seven, verse four, which everyone can just turn back to, um, God promises, God says to Moses, by the way, Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. And therefore, I'm going to place my hand hard on Egypt, and I'm going to bring out all these, um, all these shvatim dolim, right? So, reader, in case you have forgotten that God predicted all of this, right? Uh, that's why it's repeated here, kasher di berna, just as God had uh, anticipated it was going to happen, okay? Good. All right. Anything else on verse 11? Do we, should, dare we read verse 12? Let's read verse 12. Elon, you want to read verse 12? Vayomar Donai el Moshe, emor el Aaron, neta, I'm sorry. Vayomar Donai el Moshe, emor el Aaron, neta et mamcha, vachach et afar haaretz, 
So let's break it down a bit. God said to Moses, Emor el akonim, emor is imperative. Say to, sorry, el haaron, say to Aaron. And then another imperative. So this is also like our, our verses that have quotation marks and then a quotation mark and a quotation mark. This is what you should say to Aaron. Netei et matcha, extend your mate, your powerful um, rod. Vehach et haafar, hach vehika. It's hard to see that word in without the hey at the end, but to smite, to smack. Smack the afar ha'aretz. What's afar? Dust. So you, before you hit the water, now lay down your rod onto the land. The hayat lechinim b'chol eretz mitzrayim. Now, even if we know what the word chinim means, lice, uh, the, the, the phrasing the hayat le is very hard to make sense of. If it would have been it would mean there will be um, lice. The vihaya, it's hard to know what the subject of vihaya is because it's not the kinim because kinim is plural. So then how it, so if it's a far, then what? So right. So what I was going to say next is that sometimes the verb haya with the Lamed preposition goes from meaning the verb to be to meaning the verb to become, right? That it, it, it will become, maybe it's the, the Afar itself, it will, beco- it will turn into Kinim, the whole Eretz Mitzrayim, throughout the entire land of Egypt. Uh, notice that uh, Kinim here is written without a Yud after the Nun. You could have also written it with a Nun, and sorry, with a Yud, and some people, um, Rashi does not, but some commentaries are, are interested in that uh, absence of a yud. Um, so we're at the beginning of the third plague. Any questions or comments on that verse? And we'll obviously look at the Rashi next time. By the way, next week we'll be in the sukkah, um, as we normally do on when we... Yeah, just a quick question. In this in this uh, translation we have here, it says gnats as opposed to lice. As far as I know, gnats and lice are different things. Is there, is there a reason that they would translate it as gnats? You know, it's, it's a guess, right? It has come to be known in vernacular English that the third plague is lice. That doesn't mean that it's, you know, um, correct from a zoological perspective. Um, I, I don't know what the difference is between a gnat and a, and a louse. And I don't know wh- how it came to be that this was understood to be lice in English, uh, but it's the more it's the most common way of translating it. But I don't know why it became that way. Gnats are worse than gnats. Gnats are flying in, uh, insects, and uh, the the, um, the the lice are from the ground up. So if you, you imagine this is things coming down from the sky or things from the ground up. Good to be back with you all. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.